and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you. <coughs> Excuse me. We are uh, in First Peter, chapter five. First Peter, chapter five, verse one, going verse by verse in the letter that first that Peter wrote to the first people, whoever that was, right? Then he wrote a letter to the second people. First Peter, second Peter. You'll get it in a little bit. It's okay. Still pre-coffee, I guess. First Peter, chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders. Okay. How many of y'all feel like elders this morning? <laughs> Look at the hands going up. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, you know, after you turn 55, you become an elder. Wow. All right. Isn't that what they say? We've got nah. somebody. It's after you turn 65, okay. We may have somebody turning 55, but I won't call out their name right now. We, we, won't, we, won't, we won't mention his name. But, uh, we, won't, we, won't, we won't go into that right now. We, won't, we don't want to embarrass him yet. We'll save that for a little later on. <clears throat> I know somebody else has got a birthday coming up too, so I've got to be nice. <clears throat> Turning 29 again. Yes. All right, everybody there? All right. <laughs> to the elders. <laughs> All eight of you who feel like elders this morning, to the elders. Notice that's plural. Notice it's plural. And we're going to, in the Bible, there are two or three words that refer to pastor. One of them's elder. One of them's bishop, one of them's overseer, one of them's pastor. They all mean basically the same thing. Uh, one's a noun, one's an adverb, etc. So, um, what Peter's writing to is that is a certain church, and he's saying those elders, which implies that there are more than one pastor in a congregation. All right? The word elder is presbyterios. What does that sound like? Presbyterian. Presbyterian. That's where the Presbyterian denomination gets their structure. They are an elder-led church. And so they have, uh, they have multiple plural elders. They have ruling elders, they call them. And they have teaching elders. And that's how they have divided up their leadership in their church is between those two groups. Uh, as Baptists, we typically don't use the word elder. However, if you go to any old Baptist church that's 150 years old and look on the wall at all the pictures that are lying down the hallway of all the pastors, the word elder is in front of their name. You'll notice a lot of older churches have that. <clears throat> so they did use the word early on. So I don't want to get caught up on that. So to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Fellow elder. So Peter's saying he's an elder. He's a pastor also. Uh, Peter uh, supposedly died in Rome and they built a building over the top of his grave. What's the name of that building? St. Peter's Basilica. Very good. Very good, Millie. St. Peter's Basilica. St. <laughs> Peter's Church, right? And what is attached to St. Peter's Church? Starts with a V. Vatican. The Vatican, right, right? The Vatican. And so if you go and visit St. Peter's Basilica. You walk in. It's absolutely gorgeous on the inside. See you, Dwayne. They're going to work. Hard-working young men. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for working. God bless you. That's awesome. So when you go into St. Peter's Basilica, you walk in, and it's six stories tall, seven stories tall, and there's statues everywhere, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Gold laid. It's beautiful. It's just stunning. You get to where there's a cross section that's built in the shape of a cross. You get to where the cross section is, and that's where they have the communion table, right, where they take communion. And you walk up several steps of marble to get up this platform. It's, it's a white marble, beautiful white table. It's, I don't know, maybe 10 feet long. It's wide. And that's where they put the communion. Now, here's the thing about it. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. Do you know that when you get to St. Peter's Basilica, when you get to the Vatican, and you, and you get there in the communion table, do you know that you can't walk up those steps if you're a normal person? You, none of you in here, would be able to walk up those steps and touch that communion table you might get kneecapped on the way up there. Only the, only the priest can approach that table. And when you stand there, it's got these four pillars on the corners of this platform that spiral like this. They're gold, and they spiral like this. Uh, I don't know, seven stories tall. It's absolutely stunning to look at. But you can't go up there. And then there's a, a podium, uh, a pulpit, you know, of course, it's made of marble and everything. And underneath there, there's a stairwell that runs down. It spirals down underneath. And you can stand there at the top and look down the stairwell. You can't go down the stairwell because you'll get double kneecapped. Okay? There's somebody down there with an Uzi. You cannot go down the stairs. And supposedly that's where Peter's bones are buried. And so the church was built on top of Peter's bones. Hence, they took the scripture where it says, where Jesus looked at Peter and says, Upon you shall I build my church. They took that literally, and they built a church building on the top of old Peter's bones. Now, there's other stuff down there. Nobody really knows what's down there, but there's all kind of gold and silver and money, and who knows what's down there. Normal people can't go see it. That's a little far-fetched, don't you think? Isn't that stretching several scriptures quite a bit? The early church, the one that Peter's writing to, remember he wrote about... 65, 66, somewhere in the neighborhood, big persecution going on in the church. It was house churches. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have buildings for the first 300 years of Christianity. Did you know that? It wasn't until Constantine came along they actually had buildings. So for 300 years, they met in homes. So uh, how many people could get in your house, David? How many people approximately could get in your living room and kitchen? 25 maybe? Something like that. So... The houses back then weren't as big as our houses today. So maybe 20 or 25 would be the max somebody could pack into a house. Right? They might could mill outside. So that was what a church was. The elders weren't actually in the church like we think of me as a pastor being in the church. They were the elders of the city. Paul goes and says, appoint elders in the city. So what he's saying is find the, the old wise people in the city and had them oversee the city and all the house churches that are meeting in that city. It's a whole different context, right? So you've got multiple elders who are overseeing multiple house churches. They never came together in one big building. They might come together outside and do something. They might gather at the temple if it was Jerusalem. But any other city didn't have a temple they could gather in, unless it was a pagan temple, and they were not going to gather there. So when it says elders, it's talking about Older, wiser men in the city who oversaw 
the house churches. And if there was a problem in the house church, you would call the elder and say, we got a problem in the house church. David is eating all the banana pudding. And the elders would come talk to David and say, stop eating the banana pudding, right? Share. Don't eat the pie, share the pie. Okay, y'all haven't seen that either. Y'all don't have grandkids. I appeal to you as a fellow elder, as a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who is sharing the glory to be revealed. So here's, here's the job description for pastors, right? Be shepherds of God's flock. Okay, y'all aren't my sheep. Y'all understand that, right? You're God's sheep. It's my job to come along and help you be good sheep. It's not my job to be a sheep for you. You're God's sheep. That's why David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Be shepherds of God's flocks that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing. So any pastor of a church should serve as an under-shepherd, if you will, because he's willing to, not because someone's making him. Because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, not greedy for money. So if you find a pastor who's always hounding your, at the offering, Janice, and saying you're not giving enough, you're not giving enough, maybe he's greedy for money, right? right? Pastors aren't supposed to be greedy for money. Right? Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, willing to show up, and serve at any chance, right? Not lording it over those entrusted to you. So what he's saying as an elder, you have the opportunity to lord over people because you are the elder, you are the wise spiritual leader of the house, of the congregation, but you're not supposed to lord it over people. Spiritually, you have the authority to, but practically you should not lord it over and boss people around, tell them what to do, and that sort of thing. Gently guide them. Look what it says. But be an example to the flock. So I'm supposed to be an example as your pastor, your elder, pastor elder, pastor teacher. I'm supposed to be an example of what it means to follow Christ. Not a perfect example because I'm not. <clears throat> no pastor is. Listen, if you're trusting in a pastor, pastors will let you down. All of them. Right? Because they're human. Right? They're all human. Someone, this was several weeks ago, asked me, they said, have you ever... You ever had problems in a church? I said, no, never. I've never, never run into a problem person at all. <clears throat> I said, yes, I have. She said, well, well, tell me some of the things that happened. So I told her. And she said, um, well, why can't, you just, why can't you just get over it and let it run off your back like a duck, is what she said. I said, well, because I'm human. Sometimes it sticks in my crawl, and I just I can't let it go. Not for a while. Because sometimes things offend me because I'm human. Right? And so when you, when you look at a pastor, he's supposed to be an example, but not a perfect example. Who's the perfect example we're supposed to look at? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Good answer. And when the chief shepherd, who is that? Who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. Very good. And when the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, pastors, he's talking about pastors here, will receive a crown of glory, right? That will never fade. A crown of glory. So I know in front of me there's going to be a crown of glory that I will receive for being a pastor of a church. And you know what I'm going to do with that crown of glory when I get it? I'm going to give it back to who? Jesus. Yeah. There'll be a time in heaven when I walk up and say, here, thank you for letting me serve you and for allowing me to serve your people. I'm so honored, and I'll give my crown back to him. Young men, 
young men, young men, that's everybody younger than me. That's just about everybody in the building. <laughs> Not. <laughs> young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And so what is Peter trying to say? He's saying, look, you young guys are going to be elders at some point. You're going to be elders. And so you need to learn a few lessons along the way about what it means so that when you're an elder, you'll be a good elder. And that's what he's trying to say. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And we talked about submissive, being submissive. That means to line up behind somebody and help them be successful. Right? That's what that word means. It's a military term. So on Sunday mornings when you walk in, you should walk up and say, Jim, how can I make you successful, right? I will submit to you as well because that's what it says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. I should ask you, what do you need to be successful for this week? How can I help you be successful? That's what it means to be submissive to one another. Husbands, you need to ask your wife that every day. Wives, you need to ask your husband that every day. Children, ask your parents. They will pass out, but they'll come back to life again. Mom, Dad, how can I help you be successful this week or today? It's a great thing. Emily, try it sometime, right? Try it. Parents, we ought to do the same thing for our teenagers. Lisa just passed out over here because just thinking about it made you pass out. Parents, we ought to look at our children and our grandchildren. What do you need to be successful? All right. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anybody in here know somebody that's full of pride? Okay. Uh, they're called uh, influencers. <laughs> and they're, they're on Instagram, they're on everywhere. There's so many people full of pride today. They're in Congress, they're in churches, they're in pulpits, they're in the pew. There's a spirit of pride that comes over us. But God says, I oppose prideful people, but I give grace to those who humble themselves. Now, we often think about humility as getting down our knees and begging and screaming and crying out to God, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. That's not what the word humble means. Humble means understanding your identity in Christ. Being humble means understanding your identity in Christ. That's the essence of humility, is understanding what Christ has done for you, what Christ is doing in you, and what Christ will do through you. That's the essence of humility. So a humble prayer is, God, what are you doing in me? God, what do, you, what do you want to do through me? And God, what have you done for me? Those are great questions to ask God and just listen to him, talk to you. That's the essence of humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, into God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves. You going through a tough time? Remember, Peter's writing to people who are persecuted and he says, humble yourselves, therefore, unto God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast some of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Is that what it says? What does it say? Cast all. Take your pen, circle that word all in your Bible. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He really does care for you. He cares for your anxiety, whether, it's, whether you're a student in school and worried about a test whether you're an adult and worried about a test from the doctor, whatever, whatever you're anxious about, God says, just let me carry that. Let me, it's too heavy for you to carry. Let me carry that. Be self-controlled and alert. 
be self-controlled and alert. You know, our country was founded on the principle that we would all control ourselves. That hasn't worked out too well. But it was founded on that principle, that freedom, that we all have freedom uh, in this country, but some people have abused that. But Peter is saying, be self-controlled and be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So we've talked about this several times in this series. Satan has his minions, right, that follow him, do his bidding, and they're just looking to trip one of us up. They take great joy in that. And so it says, be alert, stay awake, like, because he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now Peter said that's all it takes is just to resist, just to resist the enemy. And how do we resist him? It's simply this, watch. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening, right? <laughs> what is it? Remember that from the 80s or 90s? Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening, right? That's how we resist the devil. How did Jesus resist the devil? Right? What did he say to Peter? Peter said, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the cross. And Jesus said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. If Jesus can say it, we can say it. Right? Because as he, as Jesus was in this world, so are we in this world, it says in Thessalonians. Right? Get thee behind me, Satan. Talk to the hand because the face is not listening. Whatever your technique is, use it. I resist you. I resist you. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. I told you when we started this series, 11 Christians a day are killed for their faith around the world. And that's growing. Church buildings around the world are being destroyed, whether it's house churches or buildings that have been built. <clears throat> because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, the God of some grace or all grace? All right. So all the grace that God has, he offers us. Right? The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God loves restoring people. You restore my soul. Isn't that what it says in Psalm 23? You restore my soul. God loves restoring broken hearts. He loves restoring, restoring broken spirits. He loves restoring broken minds. God loves restoring things. He wants to restore you this morning. If you have some brokenness in your life, he wants to restore it. After you've suffered a little while, he himself, that is God himself, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Three pillars that we stand on. Strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's some final greetings. It says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Now, some people think that Silas probably wrote the letter, but, but Peter dictated it to him. We don't find that Peter was an educated man. He was a fisherman, which probably meant he wasn't educated in all likelihood. And so perhaps he didn't know how to write as good or write as fast or write as well or put it together. We think maybe Silas just wrote it down as Peter dictated it to him. 
with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. So what he's written is the true grace of God. So stand fast in it. Now she who is in Babylon, who's the she? Who's the she in Babylon? Who's the she? Yes, it's the church. It's Christians that are in Babylon. Now is Peter talking about Babylon? Babylon, as in Babylon, the city, Babylon? No, he's not. So what do you think he's referring to? What do you think he's referring to? What was going on at the time? Remember persecution, right? And who was doing the persecuting? Rome. Exactly. Exactly. So he's, he's putting something in here in case somebody picks this letter up and reads it. He's not going to say that the church that's in Rome because they might get persecuted even more. If they were carrying that letter or a copy of that letter and they got caught with it saying the church is in Rome, they could be killed on the spot or crucified on a cross or run through with a sword. And so he's using a little word play here. Everybody understood what he was saying. So the church, Christians who are in Rome being persecuted, who are chosen together with you, sends her greetings. So Peter was hanging out with the church that was in Rome that was being persecuted. And he's saying, the whole church that's with me sends greetings in this letter that he's sending. Uh, sends your greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Okay, so we're going to practice that this morning. I'm just kidding, we're not. We're not. We're not. And in flu season, it is flu season. Well, we've got some of that squirty stuff. We'll wipe it on our lips, and then we'll kiss. Will that work? Kill all the germs inside there for... Uh, this isn't a kiss on the lips now. Okay, back in the day, 2,000 years ago, it was kiss on the cheek, right? You know, you've seen them do that thing, and so that's what he's talking about. So, uh, however you can greet your husband or your wife with a kiss of love, that's okay. No, 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 it's too much right there. Stop, stop. <laughs> Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Once again, a great thing to say to somebody. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So let's practice that. Ready? Peace to all of you who are in Christ. It's a great greeting. Great word. So we finished up 1 Peter. And it's all about the church being persecuted back in the day. And the little minor persecutions we face here in America are, are nothing compared to this. But there's always the potential it could get bad in America. I don't think it will. But there's always that possibility. Or you may travel abroad somewhere, and it's really bad there wherever you find yourself. Peter's given us a word. Be strong, be steadfast, and be secure in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thanks for this encouraging word that you've given us, um, that you encouraged Peter to write, told him what to write, and told him how to write it with the help of his friend, thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins, for coming back to life again, and for being life within us. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that if anyone here in this room that has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, 
Maybe they joined a church, but they never trusted Jesus. That They would do so this morning. So come, Holy Spirit, convince us, convict us, challenge us, comfort us, lead us, guide us, direct us, help us, encourage us, minister to us, Holy Spirit, in, in whatever way that pleases you, in whatever way that helps us to be more like Christ. For it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.